Sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. I am the one who is in 
Is this thing recording? Okay. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. I miss you guys so much. I wish I could hug every single one of you. First of all, Allah Sata deserves all praise for allowing us to be back on the mic again. You know the thing I always say, I say the best kind of relationships, right, are the relationships you have with people that maybe you haven't heard from in a long time. But when you guys do see each other, it's like time hasn't passed. And I feel that way about you guys. Although I haven't, you know, seen her or like, you know, been on the mic for a very long time, I still feel like I time hasn't passed. It's like back like we never left. Um, and as you can see, like the episode started really differently this time around. Um, I mean, in the last few months, we've been shaking it up Chicago, um, making it better, changing it, like figuring out how we want to tell stories in a new way. And so we haven't, we've been spending the last few months just really enjoying, um, exploring our creativity. And so we're really excited to bring you some new stuff. And just like I said, we started the episode with a really different way. We started with a conversation um, with a bunch of Somali aunties having a conversation. And for those who aren't Somali native speakers, I'm going to explain to you what those conversations were. So I, you know, I love, and you guys already know, I love gatherings of women. I love conversations that are having, that are being had with women, by women. It's just my vibe. Um, I remember my mother every like around like 9 p.m. I remember like clockwork after she'd like put us to bed or on weekends she'd go over to her friend's house that wasn't too far off and they would hang out in a basement or in the living room with her friends just talking about life right telling each other stories and I just distinctly remember like the henna the unsi, you know, the oud smell, the bodies, like the laughter, the conversations, the conversations, so many conversations happening all at once. And just, I just remember, I feel like it was the very first time I actually fell in love with just sisterhood. Like, I feel like that was my first introduction, if I'm being completely honest. So I used to be a nosy cat. Um, I remember growing up, they used to call me a tape recorder because whatever you told me, whatever I heard, I'd go back and tell my dad what was said. And oftentimes these women would just be talking about their lives, like their back of the day. And and I remember thinking my mom probably didn't think I understood what the conversations were, but boy, did I understand. And so let me tell you about these conversations that was had that our producer Hannah went to her neighborhood which is very probably very similar in a lot of cultures, having a bunch of women talking, having tea. But this time they were having a conversation about love. And they were sharing their love stories and their experiences with love. And I remember one of the aunties was saying how, you know, she met this guy she fell in love with in Somalia. And then obviously she left Somalia, lost contact for years, and then reconnected in a new country and got married and have been married for 40 years, Allah Mubarak. Like, what is better than that, subhanAllah? And I remember another uh, auntie on the audio was talking about how back in the day, and I wish, like, I really wish that still occurred today. Um, But she was talking about how back in the day, obviously there wasn't technology in the way there's technology today. So people used to send each other, like, love letters. Like, love letter. Like, people would write, like, sonnets on a piece of paper, 
a mail it to the person they were interested in and they would read it and they would come back and then write a letter and then send it back. Like she said, that's how we do it. They used to send you letters. Like men would just send you letters. <laughs> Man, I wish men still sent letters, subhanAllah. But anyways, and she talked about how like that was like how like people courted back in the day. And I'm like, wow, we need to bring that back. I'm kind of over the DMs and the weirdness that happens on technology. I feel like when people write letters, it's a bit more personal. And a bit more intentional, obviously, because it's like you're writing a letter, you're writing it down, you're getting ink, you're sitting down somewhere, you're thinking about your feelings, right? Instead of just like shooting the first thing on your mind. And then the last part, which it was my favorite part, because they started to break out into singing, like borderline high school musical. And they started singing about how like you're supposed to get to know men, right? But if they're wasting your time, tell them to hit that road jack. You get me? Basically, they were saying like, if he's not like fulfilling what you want and what you want out of a relationship, if he's not doing what he needs to, then irks out the door he goes. And I thought that was hilarious and thought about making that my ringtone. Still might make my ringtone, to be honest. Like these conversations, I learned a great deal. I feel like even at a very young age, I knew a, a lot about relationships and love. Maybe somebody my age would know. And so obviously so many years has passed and I literally, I low-key think, okay, maybe I'm crazy for saying this and because also I'm a single girl, but I feel like low-key, like I know a great deal about love. I feel like I understand it. And I might sound naive saying that, but that's how I feel because I've heard so many stories. I've been advised. I've had conversations with the OGs, with the, you know, the girls in my age group and younger. Like, I feel like I've assessed, I've analyzed, I kind of understand how things begin, when things get complicated. And so I call myself, you know, an expert. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. And I'm going to say publicly on the microphone that I am an expert of love, which is why I thought. This year's theme, this bundle of a series has to be Love Timber. I mean, we did it season one. It was a hit. And I thought, you know, it deserves a comeback, right? And I wanted this time to explore the actual word love in all its forms. And answer as well some questions I had internally about love. And even for some of my friends, right? I want this to kind of be a piece a series where it kind of answers the questions that we are kind of afraid to ask about love. I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do it for the girls. And I feel like I might make I might make the bright person to tell you stories because I love love. And for those who are out there that may have given up on love, well, girl, let me try to revive it for you. I want to start this series with an amazing story. I mean, the best story about love I have ever heard personally a story that trumps all love stories and I'm not exaggerating I honestly feel like this story came to me in the most beautiful of ways at the most beautiful time in the most beautiful place in the masjid in one of the nights of Ramadan when I think about this story all the time I really think about how the fact that I don't even really know if the person I met was a real person. Okay, hear me out. I know you, <laughs> you probably think I sound crazy, but let me tell you, like, I'm not even sure if she was a person. Maybe she was an angel. I mean, take this in. Imagine meeting somebody at a place. They tell you a story that rocks your entire universe and some more. And then disappears. Poof, vanishes. I'm sorry. Is that a real person? I don't even know. But until today, I still reminisce about that story. 
So it was kind of a lonely girl Ramadan. And so I spent that time in the masjid, which, you know, alhamdulillah, it was, it was, I would say it was one of the best Ramadans I have ever had in my entire life. Because I, I literally spent every day, all 30 days in the masjid, you know, um, breaking fast with Muslims. I did know, did not know. It was just such a wholesome time for me. And so I'd come, you know, uh, a little bit before Maghrib, maybe at Asr, I'd come, uh, you know, read some Quran, listen to some lectures. Um, and alhamdulillah, that masjid or my masjid, Shout out to KBW. It had a fasting program, like a breaking fast program. So if you were on the road or you, you know, were breaking fast alone and um and you wanted to do it in community, you can come to the masjid and they would have uh, food there for you. So girl, you know, I was there every day. Like uh, a girl when, you know, no family, nobody just by myself. I'm my lonely girl, you know, Ramadan, which by the way, was the best Ramadan of my entire life. But let me tell you, okay, let me get to the story. One day, and I want to say it was the last 10 nights. I think it was the first of the last 10 nights. I was sitting on the floor. It was like maybe like, let's say 30 minutes before Maghrib. I was chilling on the floor, not in the masala, like in the hallway entrance. And I might have been reading Quran. I might have been reading a book. I might have been doing something beneficial, hopefully. And this auntie walks in. Never seen her before, but I didn't pay any really mind of her until she grabs the chair. I saw her drag the chair and she was dragging it towards, she was coming towards me. And she takes the chair and she puts it beside me. I think she's seen me before. And I think she saw that I was alone. And maybe when she looked at me, she saw herself. And maybe I had a sad girl face, who knows? Or maybe I just, you know, like, you know, and when I think about like why she picked to sit with me or tell me her story, I really believe it's because she thought I was like, I reminded her of her alone and in worship and maybe maybe a little skeptic maybe a little cynical because I will say though there was a time in my life where I just kind of was like and I and I talked about in my dua story where I st- there was a period in my life I stopped asking Allah for anything and maybe she saw that on me or maybe Allah sent her I don't know I never saw her again maybe she was an angel we don't even know it's the biggest mystery of my life I'm being honest it's the biggest mystery of my entire existence and she told me a story that I have held with me ever since. It's not one I've ever forgotten. And so she comes and she grabs a chair. She puts it beside me and she looks at me. And you know, subhanAllah, it really is really went like this. Can I tell you a story? And I looked at her and you know, obviously me guys, you know, I like stories. Okay. If someone's going to tell me a story, I'm going to listen. And so when she says it to me, I'm like, oh, yes, somebody can you tell me. So, absolutely. So I turn my body towards her and she sits up and she looks at me. She's like, okay, let me tell you a story about a time a dua that I had made last Ramadan was accepted. And so Habari says to me, I am 60 years old. I was married once, many, many years ago, and that marriage ended in divorce. I was never able to have children. And so I spent most of my adult years alone, always alone. I was the person who I wouldn't say was far from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but I was just a person that just lived. My siblings, you know, lived scattered around the world, you know, built their own families. And I lived alone in Canada, here in Toronto. And she's like, loneliness never bothered me. Um, I did have moments where I'd feel lonely and this sad, but alhamdulillah, I was always able to come to community or call my friends and really fill those gaps. And so if I did feel lonely, it wasn't for too long. 
until one year, I started to embark on a new journey. And that new journey was getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I wanted to be close to Allah. I wanted, you know, to learn Quran. I wanted to be in the masjid as often as I could. And when I started to learn about Allah more, I started to feel differently about the things that I wanted out of life. I thought living alone, you know, making my own meals, having a routine was enough. But when you learn about your religion and you learn about the life after this life and you learn just about everything you need to know in order to live a life that you are happy with, you start to change the things that you want out of life. Now, I've always wanted to go to Umrah. That was something that was always on my bucket list. Matter of fact, I regretted not going to Umrah with my first husband, that I didn't take it seriously and I didn't make it a, a requirement at the time. And by the time I got divorced, I really just was in my own head and I was really just enjoying my independence and I was just okay with the peace that I had. But as soon as I started to learn the Quran and I started to learn the experiences that people were having, you know, going to pilgrimage and experiencing that, I started to feel this longing, this desire, this intense desire to go. But the only problem is, is that I didn't have anyone to go with. And so I tried to make up a plan. I called my brothers, I called my uncles, I called all my male relatives I had. And I said, can you take me to Umrah? I really want to go. I will cover all the cost. Just take me. It's my time. And I really want to spend it worshiping Allah. But unfortunately, my uncles, my brothers, you know, they have their own families. They have their own lives. They have their own schedules. And they weren't really able to take me. And every time I tried to plan, something would happen and it would all fall through. It made me feel really sad because I started to feel like maybe Umrah is impossible for me. Maybe it wasn't in the cards for me. The thing I wanted to do so badly, so much, maybe isn't something I'll be able to do. And that scared me. And so she explains to me that it really put in this really deep depression because now she has this intense longing to know Allah and to love Allah. And she's really on this journey where it feels like she's on alone. And she's realizing, you know, part of the experience is to do it with others. But what if you don't have anyone? And so Ramadan came at the perfect time, as she explains to me. It no longer felt safe for her to be at home because she just feel the lonely, just loneliness just take over her. And so she had decided to come to the masjid to break her fast and to break in community and hope to keep the dark thoughts, the negative thoughts at bay. So she said to herself, I'm going to ask Allah for the impossible things, right? I'm going to ask a lot of things that trouble me, the things that I truly, truly want. And so I asked Allah for a companion. I was asking Allah for love. Love that was more than just transactional, love that was more than just romantic, but love that felt like Allah was the center of everything they did. And they supported one another and they accompanied one another. And although at the time she's like, I, I really kind of gave up on love at that point. And I didn't think that maybe love suited me because what could I really offer? Habrahawa wanted that. She wanted to perfect her faith. But what does that look like for a woman in her late 60s, early 70s? How possible is it to find love at that age? When people think at that point you should accept however life has turned out for you. It's not the time to dream. 
It's not time to grow. You've grown enough. But that's not our experiences as humans. We're always growing until we pass. But for Rama, that moment, like this deep desire to like, you know, go to Umrah and find a companion to grow in her deen, to safeguard herself with someone, to spend whatever time she has left. You know, it, it just wasn't something she could shake off. And it started with when she started to learn her faith is when that desire started to really place root in her heart. But she couldn't ignore those thoughts, man. Like those thoughts that we all have, right? Those, those like, uh, how's that going to work? Or who's going to marry you? And who's going to, it's real. It's real for everybody. No matter how old you are, what age you are, what place you're at, no matter what, that, that thought in your head, those voices in your head telling you can't, they're real and they're loud. But she says to me, you know, I asked Allah for the thing that I felt was impossible. At my age, felt almost nearly impossible. Like if I were to tell somebody, oh, I'm asking Allah, you know, for a companion at, you know, 68 years old, nearly 70, um, I think they would look at me and say, maybe, you know, maybe that error is done for you. Maybe ask for something else. And she's like, but you know what? You know, nothing is impossible for Allah. And that's the truth. So I asked Allah. And I asked him many times. I asked again and again and again. And then every time I talked about it, every time I asked Allah from it, I would get more emotional about it. Like I was pleading with Allah, please make a way for me, open doors for me. I have nobody else but you. I'm alone in this. And she's like, I asked Allah and I asked and I asked. I never got tired of asking. And she said, even when I got tired, like when I physically couldn't even ask anymore, I felt like my tears asked. My, you know, moments of silence asked. My heart asked. She's like, I, I won't even lie. That was the most powerful and productive Ramallah I have ever had. And I always feel like it was the pain that I felt that month that really drove me. If I didn't feel those feelings, that sadness, that kind of like, you know, covered me. I don't know if I would have been, you know, as open and as vulnerable as I was during that month. And in the last 10 nights, I asked Allah in a way I've never asked. I begged him. I begged him to provide me clarity, understanding, to remove the feeling. Will Allah remove this desire if I can't have it? Remove it. I don't want it. And Allah, if it is for me, if, if I have these feelings for a reason, make a way for me. Open doors for me. Well, I want to come to your house. I want to worship you in the way that you deserve to be worshipped. I want to do it the right way. I want to perfect my faith. But this is where I'm at. These are my crossroads. And Allah, I submit to you. So Ramadan ends. Eid comes. She celebrates it. She goes back to work, back to life. And she moves on. She's like, I still... You know, she's like, at the time, subhanAllah, she's like, it's like Allah gave me hope. Because even after, you know, Ramadan ended, she's like, there was this lingering optimism that I couldn't really quite shake off. I didn't come back home sad or in despair, but there was this hopefulness I felt. As if my soul knew that Allah accepted or that something was going to come soon. I didn't know what it was, but I felt lighter. I felt, I just felt the sense of optimism. I can't quite tell you what it was, but she's like, it's something I just, I felt sure of. 
And she said, and then I, one day I get the news of a friend whose husband passed away. And when I came to give condolences, she's like, I, I, I recognized that the, the people at the Janazza weren't just people from the city I live in, or people that were traveled from all over. And as I was exiting my friend's home, I bumped into a face I recognize. And as I tried to make out his face, I see that he's already smiling. And he approaches me and he says, Rahma? I look at him and I, I squint a little bit and then I realize, oh my God, it is a guy I used to know back in Somalia who I think had a crush on me. I think I had a crush on him. I'm not even totally sure. But there was a liking between us that never really got to season, that we never really got to explore because the war happened and our families had to flee and we just lost connection. And here he was in front of me, gray-haired, still had the same likeness about him, same demeanor, but you can tell that life happened. And he looks at me, I look at him, we smile at each other. I'm like, oh my God, when's the last time I saw you? He's like, you know, subhanAllah, it was, you know, 19, you know, 80-something or 1970-something. And they started talking about timelines and the last time they saw each other. And they recognized they hadn't seen each other until maybe a little bit after the war. And subhanAllah, at that point, you know, life settled them in different places and he had settled in the U.S. They started telling her about, like, you know, what happened with him and start updating their lives quickly. He tells her that, you know, I ended up in America. I got married. I had four children. Alhamdulillah, they're, you know, grown. They have their own children. So I'm a grandfather now. And he's giving her, like, updates. And he's doing it with so much, you know, love in his eyes. And um, and this is the part that, like, for Rahma was, and as she explained to me, was the most difficult part of reconnecting with people. Because, you know, her life update to others might be a, might be a difficult one, might be a hard one to share. And so he says to her naturally after sharing his own, I mean, what, how, he's like, where did you go? And I'm sure you have had kids. And she's like, um, yes, I did get married, but I'm no longer married. And I wasn't able to have children. And she was waiting for the like, I'm sorry. And, you know, the, the natural response that people might have to hearing about how life turned out for her. But instead, he says to her, Alhamdulillah, I'm sure Allah gave you a good life. Either way. And she responds to him and she says, he did. Alhamdulillah. He says to her, well, before you leave, I really would like to like, you know, catch up with you because I'm, I'm going to be here for a few weeks before I go back. Um, can I get your number? And, and this is the part that I found so okay because Habib was saying, I felt like a 16-year-old girl because, you know, when's the last time a guy asked for my number? <laughs> When's the last time a guy asked for my number? She's like, it, it felt like he teleported me back to when I was 16 years old. And all of a sudden I'm getting shy. But she's like, I'm sure he just wants to, you know, check on my well-being and, and all that. And I'm sure he probably won't even call. And she's giving herself excuses as to why he's asking her for a number. Or maybe he just didn't know what to do after. But she's like, I gave him my number. And he took it. And he says, inshallah, I will call. And she's like, as I was walking away, I just kept thinking, is he going to? Will he call? It's so... Rahma goes back to her regular life, right? She goes back to her regular routine, um, except this time is a bit different. She's doing her regular routine, but she's looking at her phone. Like, when is he going to call? And let me tell you, no matter how old we are or where we're from, women are all the same. <laughs> Rahma was thinking, oh my God, he hasn't called me yet. One day passes, the second day passes, four day passes, eight day. 
14 days passes and he hasn't called. And Rahama starts thinking, man, like, you know, why didn't he call? Why didn't he call? Maybe he's not interested. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm just overthinking this. And starts to like tell herself like, why do I even like hope for this? Like, I'm just, I'm so annoyed with myself. I'm 68 years old. Like, like when am I going to grow up? <laughs> and he calls finally on the 15th day. It was a day she didn't, she had at that point had decided he was never going to call. And she's like, let me not even assume anymore. And I was right to think that he probably just took my number just to take it. And so one night when she got back um, from her outing, she, she hears her phone ring. And she goes to her phone, and she picks it up, and she says, Hello? And he responds with, Salaam alaikum. She's like, Wa alaikum salam. And he says to her, Wa abduqani. It's me. Abduqani. And she's like, I just looked at the phone like, he's calling me now? 15 days later? She's like, I, I was like, I was like, there's no way. There's no way he's calling me <laughs> 15 days later. And she's like, but I still wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, and she's like, ha, ah, I haven't, you know, heard from you. I didn't know if you were going to call. And he's like, oh, he was like, um, if I'm being honest, he's like, I didn't know if you wanted to hear from me. He's like, the last few days I've been debating if, you know, it was right to call you. And she's like, why would you think it wasn't? And she's like, he got shy and, 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 and then tried to change the subject. She's like, so I let him. I let him change the subject because I really didn't understand where he was taking with that. And so naturally, he starts asking me how my day was. I asked him about how his day was. We had a couple of back and forth. He asked me about my uncles and my family and why certain things, like where we ended up and what happened. And we didn't. And then we started to go down memory lane. It was just a pleasant conversation. And when it got late, we hung up graciously. And he said to me, I'll call you tomorrow. Some reason. I felt like he was going to call me tomorrow. Like he wasn't going to not call me. And so the next day he does the same thing. He calls and we have a pleasant conversation. It's like as if time didn't pass. He was still that that guy in, in Somalia and I was still that girl in Somalia. It was like nothing had had passed between us, subhanAllah. And I asked him, I said, um, how's your wife? You know, is she with you? I'd like to talk to her. It's that and the third. And he pauses. He pauses for a while and he says to her, um, I'm no longer married. Me and my wife had divorced five years ago. And so I've been living alone, um, chilling, traveling every now and then, visiting family. Um, and so, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been married for a long time. And she was like, I was so shocked. I literally like, what? what you, you're not married? He's like, yeah. He's like, I, I thought I mentioned it. She's like, no, you, you didn't mention it. He's like, oh, okay, I, I thought I assumed you would know since I asked for your number. And she started thinking, oh my God, you know, like, what if, like, what if we, you know, got married? And she's like, oh my God, it's such a crazy idea to think, why would he want to marry me? You know, I'm sure he just wants to keep his peace and who gets married at 70 something anyways. She's making all these excuses as to um, why he would never propose, right? But she couldn't even explain why he kept calling either, right? But anyways, one day things took a turn. One night he calls her and he picks, he calls her and he says, Salaam alaikum rahma, I have something to tell you. And he says to her, and she says to him, okay, yeah, tell me, like, what's going on? He's like, okay, please forgive me if this is like, you know, not what you're hoping. And 
maybe I'm insane, but Shaw, bear with me. I have loved you my entire life. I have thought about you for a very long time. I never imagined that Allah would allow our paths to cross. But here we are. I'm single. You're single. And I cannot imagine life without you. Can I have your hand in marriage? Will you marry me? At this point, <laughs> as you can imagine, guys, you know I'm a lover girl. In my lover girl era, obsessed with the story already. I think I already had tears in my eyes. And at this point, Habraha is not even talking to me anymore. Like, I, her, at some point of her storytelling, she started to look in the distance as if she can still remember that moment. And that moment meant so much to her. And then she goes quiet. And she looks down. It's like her face changed. And she says, and I responded to him in a way that I regret. But it was truthful to me. Instead of immediately saying, yes, yes, yes. Instead, I said to him, what would you want to do with a woman like me? My beauty has faded. I don't have the same energy as I used to. I can barely stand to cook longer than 15 minutes. And I can't bear you any children. Why would you want to marry a woman like that? My heart shattered hearing her say that. And I can tell that when she had said that part to me, it shattered her too. Not that she, you know, she's saying this is a person that she loves, but she's saying this because that's how she felt at the time. And he says to her, I'm not marrying you for your beauty, nor that if you can bear children for me or marrying you to cook for me. I'm marrying you because I want you to be my companion in this life and the next. The part of what Abdelkani said that was so beautiful for me to hear, that really brought tears to my eyes, was he used the word companion. The same word Habr Rahma used when she was making dua to Allah. Oh, Allah, grant me a companion. And it's the same word he used to comfort her to marry him. The biggest sign you can see that this, this moment was the acceptance of the dua she had made. And at the time, I know Habraham was like, well, it's not exactly everything. You know, she made dua for a companion. Yes, that's one part of it, right? But still, it's still a part that Allah accepted. And I can only imagine how overjoyed she had felt. Allah, subhanAllah, the way that Allah subhanahu wa allows things to happen in our lives, right? It's almost, it feels as though that when Allah subhanahu wa accepts things, accepts du'as from us, it's out of love. It's out of love for us. So much so that like in the, the moment that du'a is being accepted, you can feel Allah Sata's love. Because how else can you describe Abdulqani using the language that she had used when she asked Allah from his bounty? So you're probably wondering right now in the story is like, what does a, you know, a Muslim, you know, couple in their late, you know, 60s, early 70s, this beautiful moment of two people that want to get to marry look like, right? Well, let me tell you. So it was very simple. May Allah Sata bless them both. <laughs> you know, at, at that age, you just, when you know, you know. It was very clear for them. This is the thing they wanted and they were going to go for it. And so when she accepted his proposal, she sends her uncle and, and, and she tells me a little funny story about when she called her uncle. She's like, oh, um, 
And this is her dad's brother. She calls her dad's brother. He calls her. He says, Salam alaikum. Hi, uncle. And he's like, how are you? Long time. Yeah, this time, third. And she says to him, I need your help. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, what, what can I help you with? She's like, I'm going to get married. And his name is Abdulqani. And her uncle was, you know, he wasn't taken back at all. He was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm happy for you. Yes, yes, yes. Who is he? And I'm like, oh, he's a guy I used to know in Somalia. He's going to call you. He's like, okay, inshallah, let him come. So he hangs up. He, uh, you know, Abdelkani calls his uncle. Uh, turns out, you know, they used to know each other or their parents, you know, he used to know his parents. And, um, you know, he's he's overjoyed by it. They confirm the meher. And he says to Abdelkani, I give you my daughter, essentially, for good. Inshallah. May Allah bless your union. You have my approval. So Abdelkani calls Rahman. He says, listen. We're going to go to the masjid on Wednesday. We're going to tell the imams that we want to get married the next day on Thursday after Maghrib feeding the fasting, inshallah, and we can go home that evening as husband and wife. What do you think? And she's like, I've never said yes faster in my life. Yes, let's do it. She's like, it was just so strange. I had to find an outfit. I had to call my friends. I had to, you know, figure out something that was really nice. And, you know, it was just, she's like, it was just, I just could not believe what was happening in my life. Like, I could not believe I'd found my person and here I was, you know, wearing something to to, to my wedding and halas, I'm going to be a married woman in, in a day. She's like, I just could not believe it. All I kept saying that day was just, alhamdulillah, Allah is so generous. Allah is so generous. Allah is so kind to me. So Wednesday is the day they're going to go to the masjid and tell the imam to arrange their nikah on the Thursday night. So they both um, come to the masjid separately. They met upstairs. And if you know my local mosque, the men's section have their own door. The women's section has their own door. And um, there's a curtain upstairs in front of the imam's offices that segregates the men and women. And so when she came upstairs and she's on her side of the curtain, she didn't know he was there until he signaled and said, you know, <clears throat> like he coughed. And so she knew he was on the other side of the curtain. And so he goes into the imam's office. He calls the imam out. The imam comes out and he looks at both of them and he says, um, how can I help you guys? And he's like, um, I'd like to arrange something tomorrow. And he's like, uh, yeah, um, are we arranging a janazah? Are you arranging the body to be here? Like, what exactly are we arranging? And he's like, no, 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 subhanAllah, none of that. <laughs> um, I would like to arrange our nikah. And she explains to me how Rahul explains to me that the imam's face lit up. He literally was like, oh, you guys are getting married? Yes, you guys are getting married? Absolutely. When would you like to get married? Tomorrow after Maghrib. We'd like to like feed the fasting. Um, and we'd like it to happen then uh, on the eve of Jum'ah. Imam's like, beautiful. Absolutely. I will support you guys in it, inshallah. We'll, we'll try to decorate the message a little bit to make it festive for you guys. And you guys can arrange the food, inshallah. It will happen after Maghrib here tomorrow. And she's like, it was such a surreal moment. Like, even when the imam walked away, he had a little bit of pep of his step. Like, he he was, you know, it was an un unexpected um, conversation, but it was one that made him happy. And it reflected how happy we were. And so when that was done, I lingered around the curtain um, to hear if he would say anything to me. And he says to me, wait, before you leave, I have to give you something. He just sticked out his hand and in his hand was an envelope. At this point, she's like, 
you know, I've gotten everything I've ever wanted. She's like, I thought that, you know, alhamdulillah, like Allah has given me exactly what I what I wanted. And she said, but yeah, Allah sometimes had more for me. And she said, he sticks out his hand and it has a envelope in it. And he says to me, open it. And she goes, I open it. I take it out. It looks like a printed ticket. And on the ticket it says, my name, his name. And it says, a ticket to Mecca. A ticket not only to Mecca, but a ticket to Medina. And that we were going to Umrah. Essentially what was, what was said on that document is that we were going to Umrah. And she's like, I couldn't even contain myself. I started to instantly start crying. Because the part that, that like, she's like, that really like blew it for me was I didn't even tell him that I wanted to go to Umrah. I didn't even tell him that he was an answer to I, that I had made the Ramadan that had just passed. Allah SWT was allowing, you know, all of these things to be presented to me. But it, 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 it was genuine. He had no idea. He had no idea I wanted to go Umrah. I had no idea I was going to find my person. It was just, all of it was happening before my eyes. And I just instantly started crying. She's like, I hadn't cried that. And he just looked at me like he was on the other side of the curtain. He can hear me sobbing. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, are you okay? When I was able to like say something, well, how I was able to say something, she's like, I just said to him in like my broken voice, I, I asked Allah if he can open a door for me to go to Umrah. And I could go with my companion and Allah gave me just that and more. A woman who is in her late 60s, who thinks she has nothing left to offer anyone or the world, who may have felt insignificant or invaluable. But at that moment, I felt like the most valuable person in the world and deserving. It was only Allah that made me feel that way. I was, I was sobbing at this point, like, like ugly girl crying and I remember when she had just finished that point it was, it was kind of like movie-esque guys I'm not even gonna lie to you it was like the best story I've ever heard and it was happening at the masjid and we're just still waiting for the adhan and as soon as she had said that part you just hear the adhan of Maqrib just go off okay the adhan just like just imagine Allah and the whole that's happening and I'm getting chills around me and she says to me I just want to tell you one thing and there's a reason why I'm telling you this story do not despair in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not do not. What you ask from Allah, make it grandiose, make it huge, make it, make it, make it something that you you feel like, you know, you know is possible, but it's just hard to conceptualize. Believe in Allah that much. Believe in Allah that much. And ask from his bounty, because he intends to give it to you. Ask from him, especially in these last few nights. Ask Allah. Ask Allah in the way you've never asked Allah in your entire life. Open yourself to that. And I'm looking at her and she just smiles at me. She gets up and she closes her chair and she enters the masala. I'm just sitting there in just awe. She just changed my entire life. Not to be dramatic, but to be dramatic. Because that is the most beautiful love story I have ever heard. Like ever, 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 ever heard. And we're talking about I am blown away. And let me tell you why I'm really blown away, okay? I really want to paint you guys a picture why I'm really blown away by this. Because before this moment, before this story, I was a girl who loved the idea of love, loved seeing the manifestations of it. I mean, like, I've watched every rom-com that's out there. 
Okay. I've read every Twilight book in grade eight. I am a serial lover of love. But there's something that I've always struggled with in my entire life was I could not, not in my entire life, particularly when I became more conscious of Allah and Tyler. And obviously my life changed drastically where I centralize and understand Allah in such a big way, a main character in my life. I've always felt a little disconnected with obviously Hollywood's version of love, right? Because in all of their stories, in all of their books, it doesn't include a lot at all. A lot is not involved in any love story I've yet to hear. I've never, I've never seen it before. And for a long time, I felt like I liked the idea of love, but I never really could imagine it for myself, which I feel like is probably the reason why I was never able to really formulate a dua about marriage. And I'm, and I'm admitting something that's pretty, pretty awkward, maybe pretty odd for me to say. But up until that moment, after hearing Abraham's story, was the very first time I walked in right after her in the musalla and I made dua for marriage. Before that, I don't think I ever did that. Maybe I did it in like off a whim or when people make dua for me and I just say, Amin. But I've never like at that point sat down, raised my hand and intentionally made dua in finding my person. That's how impactful that story was. Because for the very first time, I can imagine myself in a love story because of how rahmah. Hamra has singly, single-handedly decimated a genre for me that I hold, I guess, very dear and created a new genre I like to call a halal love story. It's a love story that Allah puts barakah in it. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always has and will always be the source of love. I mean, his name is Al-Wadud after all. The most loving, the beloved, the one who is faithful to his servants and shows them the purest form of love. That is what season three is going to be all about, or the ending of season three, what love temper is going to be all about. is for us to understand what true love is, to recognize when we see it, and to understand the manifestations of love in our lives today. If I'm being honest, this entire podcast pretty much is a love letter to Allah. And if you're listening to this and thinking, when will be my time? When will I experience true love? When will I know love? Even after hearing Habar Rahman's story, and you're just asking yourself still, is there still hope for me? Is there still hope? My answer to you is this. There is always hope for love. Still. Before I let you guys go, I have to give a warm thank you to the wonderful team that produced this episode. And when I tell you they smashed it, I mean, they smashed it. And you already know how I feel about shout outs. So I have to give a shout out. So I have to give a shout out to our guest producer that produced this episode. Sosan Abdullahi, you actually smashed it, girl. I am so impressed by how you did this episode. Congratulations. It was 10 out of 10, if I say so myself. I also love to give a shout out to our lead producer, the new girl on the team, Hannah Allen. Girl, Jazakallah Khair. The little things that you put into this, how you did it, how you put it together was phenomenal. I'm so excited to see what you're going to do in the future. I also love to give a shout out to our guest writer, our first ever guest writer, because you know now we got a writer's team, Naoma Rista, Allahumma Barak. When I tell you you brought these words together, I mean you brought these words together, Allahumma Barak. Shout out to you, sis. I also love to give a shout out to Wasima Fada on the graphic design and cover art. Ah, oh, man, I don't even know how you're not doing everybody's art yet. We're low-key gatekeeper, don't take it from us. 
We'll see you, Wafada. You did that, girl. I also love to give a shout out to our project manager, this second new girl. Actually, the third new girl on the block, because Naomi is also a new girl. But the third girl on the block is Mahin Khan. You know, I, you got us together. You got us all the way together, girl. It's like getting Botox. You know, you get it all the way together. You got us all the way together. Jazakallah, Qayyid Mahin, for all the shit that you did phenomenal can't wait to see what you're gonna do in the future i also love to give a shout out to our sound designer yusuf duazu you killed it you added your spice and uh you brought the story and you brought it to life alama badak shout out to you man and our last definitely not least marketing extraordinaire number one and number two sosan abdullahi jazakallah for all that you do thank you everybody thank you to the team you guys killed it if you enjoyed today's episode Know that tons of hours, blood, sweat, tears have gone into it. In fact, we have a whole new team of writers, producers, project managers. I mean, it's a whole new team. This means that donations and support to help us keep going really goes a long way. If you can't donate, then we appreciate your du'as, messages, and kind words. قالت حبيبي قلتها يا نور عينك قالت فقدتك وهجرك قد عبت فيني Alright, that's it y'all. I will see you as per usual next week in your ears, in your speakers, telling you a good story. وبعدك بيجنني يميني لدعي إلهي بيني وبينه والله يغني عن العالم ويكفيني قلت اسمعيني حبيبي شمان سيدينا لكن صروف الزمان للبعض تجبرني